0: Growing and scaling a business is complex. It can be very scary and lonely trying to navigate it all. It comes down to the community of trusted people you surround yourself with. Let's dive in to the Business as People podcast. Welcome everyone today. Excited to have Walter Foster, who's the partner at Ekert Siemens. And he's going to be doing a deep dive, answering a lot of questions around the whole PFML. It's also known as the Paid Family and Medical Leave Act here in Massachusetts. So, you know, a lot of folks are confused about what it looks like, state versus federal. And we run into it in ourselves here within our company. And we wanted to share this with the business community. So, Walter, thank you for taking the time today to really kind of you know, unpack this.
1: Happy to be here, Tom. Thank you for your kind introduction.
0: So I'm going to leave the floor to you. And I'm just here kind of moderating. I, I took a whole bunch of questions from people and we'll get a chance to ask you those towards the end of your presentation.
1: Sounds great. we are happy to do so. So welcome everyone to Clients and Friends. Some of you may have seen this seminar or words about it or one that I had done in the spring of 2019, but what a difference a year makes, particularly this 2020. I'm Walter Foster. I'm an attorney with the law firm of Eckerd Siemens, and I have a particular focus in the employment law arena. And our PFML, the Paid Family Medical Leave Act of Massachusetts, is really the front and center topic for today. The goals that I'd like to have for you today is to give you an overview of what's required under the law. There are two types of leave all being now paid, both either family or medical leave. To identify how this works, it's very similar to the state's unemployment kind of scheme and approach. To summarize the eligibility criteria and to outline some of the penalties and enforcement mechanisms if you don't comply. And then happy to take any questions about that. There's a number of great resources that we can share that are also available on the state website for this new state agency. So, without ado, a little bit of the overview of what is the Paid Family Medical Leave Act. So first and foremost, it really is one of the first of its kind in the nation. Many might be familiar with the federal law called the Family Medical Leave Act, which provides for 12 weeks of unpaid leave. The Massachusetts law, which is very quickly being followed by many other states in New York, New Jersey, DC, California, will provide as of July 1, which is right around the corner, up to 26 weeks of combined either family or medical leave. And the second part is effective on July 1. So hence the timeliness of this kind of reprise of the seminar. So a word about the two dates. The full statute took effect in terms of being able to take those benefits or granting those benefits on January 1 of this year. As of that day, somebody could take the medically for their own serious health condition or for paternity maternity leave. What's taking effect on July 1, literally where are we two days away, is the expansion aspect of this act that now allows employees to take leave to care for other family members illness. So a quick notice where hopefully most of you, particularly employers out there, are aware, but as an employee, some deductions should have been withheld from your pay from these important dates. So it actually, the financial withholding notice was given on September 30th, way back in 19, and the withholdings began back in October. This is a great pictorial and very visual, and for many of us, we are, of the timeline, which we captured from the Family and Medical Leave Department, which is the new state agency, and gives you the background. And it takes you all the way to the final event, which you can see on the right-hand side of that slide of July 1. So the January 31 of 2020 contributions had to be paid. January 1 of 2021 is the major parts of the law took effect. And the full effect of the law is taking place in two days' time. So how does it all work? What is this? And I think a great way to look at this by analogy is it's very similar to our state unemployment system. There's a new state agency. The contributions withheld that are comprised of both employer and employee, if you will, deductions or withholdings have been paid into this new trust fund. All of the claims... For any medical leave that would be paid under this statute, go to that state agency, not to your employer. And employers basically pay into the fund based on the size of the employer. So you'll see a little bit further on whether you have the the magic number for this statute is 25 employees. And we'll show you what difference that makes. So some of you might be saying, well, how does this apply to me? And it literally applies to every business in every employee in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. So unlike many other statutes, the number of eligible employees under the statute is one. So uh, there's no 11, 25, 50 magic number of how many employees do I have? It's one. If you have 24 or less employees, you will see that the employer actually doesn't contribute a penny into the system. They're done through withholdings of the employee. The employer doesn't pay their share. If you're over 25, they do. There's always right the special conditions, and that can be if you work for a municipality or a political subdivision, a city or town or school, they have to opt into it. And if you already have, if you're with one of those generous employers that already provide benefits that are more extensive than the law, then you're covered by that. So what are the benefits provided? So this is what's already in place. It took effect in January of this year. And as you can see, it was really focused on really the leave is allowed for the employee themselves, not for a family member, the exception being maternity, paternity. So between January and now and continuing on into the future, every employee is going to be entitled to up to 20 weeks for a medical leave for their own serious health condition. They can use it to bond with a child, whether adoption or a newborn, and you can take it combined. um, There's special provisions for our military and armed services. So the statute provides up to 26 weeks of paid leave for folks who fall within those categories, and then also for dealing with times when a person is deployed. And then the next date is effective is the July first date, and I'm sorry, I'm just looking to advance my slide. Oops, I think I went too far. Sorry about that. There we are, July 1st. So this is the, the newest part of the statute. And what it does is it now allows you to take the family leave or to take care of a family member serious health condition. So the amount of time that you can take under that provision of the statute is up to 12 weeks. In between medical and family leave, the total is 26 weeks. So I want to give you a little bit of the scope of what the medical leave covers. So it's very similar to the federal statute, the Family Medical Leave Act, or what's called the FMLA. Large companies or any employee who's worked at a large company is most likely already covered by this. And a serious health condition can be either physical or mental that prevents you from doing part of your job. And it can include any of the following pregnancy, chronic conditions, such as diabetes, asthma, any long-term condition or status like cancer and anything requiring multiple treatments, such as dialysis and the like. So pretty commonsensical. And word about the scope of the family leave, because these are the two buckets of eligible, if you will, paid leave. Family leave is defined under the statute as to care for a family member who has a serious health condition. So of course, this could be your spouse, other family members, to bond with your own child within the first 12 months of a placement or adoption. And again, there's additional uh, criteria that are very specific to active duty families, which are permitted for deployment and the like. The big thing about this statute that is really significant is the distinction in terms of the scope of who is a family member. So under our federal law, it was really what you and I would call the nuclear family. But under this state law, it is very much expanded. It not only includes your spouse or domestic partner and children and parents, but it goes to the grandchildren, your grandchildren, your grandparents or your spouse's grandparents or any siblings. None of those individuals were covered under FMLA, so it's very expansive, and it's what I call the broader family as described. And the other part is that, of course, there's no limit in terms of the number of employees under FMLA. You used to have to have 50 employees in order to be entitled to this benefit. So the Massachusetts law is, if you will, superseding the federal law. So the other part is eligibility, which of your employees become eligible. Under the FMLA, they had very specific eligibility criteria that do not apply to this state law. So previously under FMLA, you had to work a set amount of hours. You had to aggregate up to the 50 employees within 75 mile work radius of all the various offices. None of those apply to FMLA. The only criteria is on the bottom of this slide is the employee must have earned 5100 in the prior 12 months to be eligible under PFML, which is why the statute required that deductions began way back in nineteen. It's to build up that trust fund system. So the eligibility criteria here is very different from the FMLA. So what employees are covered by this is a pretty, you know, how does this all work? And so any of the existing employees who are financially eligible is where they are quote unquote localized in Massachusetts. And that includes where the work is entirely performed in Mass or it's partially inside or outside of Mass but the work outside of Massachusetts is incidental. The other criteria which companies should be aware of is where any of the services are partly done in Massachusetts, but the headquarters or base or operation is here in Massachusetts, in which case all of those employees will be covered. But there's additional folks. This statute actually allows at the option for 1099 or what we would all call independent contractors to also be covered. If you are a company that has a workforce of more than 50% of independent contractors, then those must be included within the deductions withheld. Another interesting part of this statute is individual consultants. So somebody who incorporates and is just a one person shop and they're now they're either in retirement or they decide to go in on their own. A self-employed individual can opt in. All that need be done is the payments made in. And it's a great way for independent people to at least have some source of income if they're hit with a medical crisis. The other part to be aware of is that it's truly a safety net very similar to the state's unemployment scheme, which is that if somebody is separated or leaves a current employer and makes a new claim, if they're separated in less than 26 weeks before the claim is made, then they're still eligible for those benefits. So even past employees will be eligible. So how do the contribution works? How does this all get funded? And there really are two buckets. One is uh, the way the state has allocated it by statute is a set total contribution, which is this less than 1%, it's a 0.75% of a worker's gross wages. And then if I'm gonna show you the diagram, which is much easier, but break it down, each of those two buckets is a bucket just for the medical contribution and a bucket for the family leave contribution. I'm going to show you kind of how that works. A couple of these slides are available, of course, through the department, which we grabbed here, but they're readily available online if you ever want to revisit those. So this slide shows what the total contribution is with the two buckets in blue, right? The medical leave contribution is 0.62% and the family leave contribution is the 0.13%. And then this applies just to companies if you have 25 or more workers. In those situations, the employer pays 60% of the medical contribution, the individual has deductions made of 40%. And for the family leave bucket, the employer pays zero, and 100% of that share is covered by the individual. Some of you out there might have a small business that has five or 10 employees or the like. What happens there? There's a different rate of contribution for those type of employers. Same total amount, actually a little bit less, but it's the same two buckets. But in the case of a company that has less than 25 employees, they do not pay any of the portion of the medical leave. And as you can see, they pay zero portion of the family leave. In short, companies that have less than 25 employees pay 0% of the deductions. All of that is paid by the individual as shown on this slide. So it's a very interesting part, and I think their approach there was to let the smaller businesses, if you will have a break, they're actually not even contributing to the portions. However, those companies must still do the withholding deductions, just like any other tax. Another interesting feature of the statute is you can opt out. You have to show and get permission of the department to opt out, and you can imagine. You would opt out by showing that you already have a private plan in place that pays at at the very least the same amount that anybody would receive from the state and that they can take the leave for the exact same purposes. So there's a number of larger companies that already pay well beyond 26 weeks of paid leave. They can apply to the department and get an exemption and opt out of the plan. So some other employers also have insurance policies that pay, for instance, for maternity or pregnancy leave, they have short term or long term disability that actually does pay. What happens for the person's leave? What happens in those situations? So in those situations, the employee is not eligible for any monies from the state if they're getting paid through the employer. And this is something that for any employer out there is you wanna look and make sure you must state in your policy that these leaves are concurrent and how they're paid. So there is an important notice provision that you must provide. You have to provide the purposes for which leave can be taken and, of course, the effective dates. If you haven't done so, there's some great notice templates available through the state. You should get those out to your employees and give them notice of their potential benefits. It is a requirement. So as always, there's always fines and penalties for not performing or not complying. And they're pretty stiff here under the statutes. Shows the state is very, very serious about applying and enforcing the paid leave. If you don't provide the notification it will be $50 for every W-2 employee or your independent contractors, and that jumps to 300 So just by getting the notices out there, you would prevent and never incur those type of damages. So it, it's a kind of a unique provision where the state is now going to kind of give you fines and penalties just for not giving the notice. So how do the claims work? An employee, if they're eligible, files with the state, just like unemployment gives notice to the employer that a claim has been filed and you fill out some information on behalf of the employee that is processed by the state agency. And if eligible, they receive, it's a maximum of $850 per week. That can vary. It could be less than that, depending upon this pretty complex, shall we say, calculation and formula. The first seven days of the leave is actually not paid. And typically that's often covered through the new Massachusetts statute for paid sick leave allotting 40 hours per week. So those are some of the the kind of workings of how this actually, you know, how an employee gets those benefits. So a couple of added important points to know about this statute. While an employee is out on leave, if you're the business owner, all of their benefits, vacation, sick leave, seniority, eligibility for bonus, and any kind of credited service, all must continue to recruit. So they need to be treated as what you and I would call an active employee. And their health insurance must be maintained throughout their paid leave. The other provisions to be aware, it acts very much like the federal statute regarding reinstatement. If an employee takes those leave and gives the proper notice and is eligible for X amount of weeks, they must be restored to their prior position at the same rate of pay, benefits and status as before they left. In addition, the statute says no retaliation. So there cannot be within the first 6 months of their return an adverse employment action of which there would be a presumption it's related to the fact that they took the leave. Things to be wary of and to be aware of as an employer. So If you fail to comply with the statute and the employees are denied the leave, there are many damages and, shall we say, effect to doing that. Under our State Wage Act, this statute provides for three times the amount of lost wages, the costs of the litigation, and costs incurred, as well as the attorney's fees. And there's a three-year statute of limitations that runs with that. So that's kind of a very quick, if you will, overview of the statute. And I just thought maybe we would take some questions at this point, I wanted to kind of run through all of that. And then we can talk about the specific provisions of that or like, or any of the questions from our participants or viewers.
0: Yeah, so I have several questions here, Walter. Thank you for all that information. And you might've answered some of these, but I think I just want to make sure that we address them specifically. But one question I just myself having based on one of the slides that you had there, when it comes to the last three slides where you talked about maintaining or just violations of damages, if an employer is under 25 employees, does that still pertain to them?
1: So it would. So let me tell you what would pertain. It's a great question. The notice provision, for instance, applies to them. So the notice provision it is so important because employees can't take advantage of paid leave if they haven't been told that they are eligible for it. So in the situation where you're less than 25 employees and you've been withholding the deductions on behalf of the employees, they apply, they are going to get their benefit. But if you didn't give them notice of that, you could still be liable for that. That was the $50 for the first offense and 300, but for each of the employees, so again, under 25, but could be 50 bucks times 20 employees, which begins to add up. So there are some slap on the wrist there, but of course, as long as they were doing the deductions and withholdings for the employees, totally fine on the other end, which would be the
0: larger damages. It's great to hear because I, I think there could be confusion. I think some people say, oh, I'm exempt or I don't need to do this. So it's right. Right. Um, Why do I need to comply? <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: No, it's good to know. There's a, a few provisions you still need to do.
0: Okay. So I'm going to just go through these questions yeah. and you might repeat yourself again, Walter, but you know, I think this is good information that we can even put back as an FAQ to folks who maybe couldn't attend today. Sure. So how much weekly pay may an individual receive?
1: So it's capped at 850. So the way that the benefit works is it's up to 850. So the particular, and I'm happy to you know, delve in deeply, thank God, you know I'm not a mathematician, but it's very formulaic about how they arrive at your particular eligibility. It is capped at 850 per week. What we're seeing, so, and just to give you a little meat of the bones, The actual calculation is based on 80% of the actual weekly wage up to 50% of the state average, plus 50% of their weekly wage above the amount not to exceed 850. So it's like this very complex formula, it most likely will be somewhere right between 400 to 850. Many people cap out at the 850. Some of our clients are using the insurance to go above and pay the difference between the 850 and the actual salary. So it's all depends upon what a business wants to do.
0: That that was great because my following question be: how is it calculated? So you already anticipated that. Is there a waiting period? If so, how long is it?
1: Yeah, so there's no waiting period per se. When an employee applies... When they're eligible, they put their eligible date. So say, you know, God forbid, they had an emergency surgery. I went in and I had a hernia or whatever it is. And they have a serious medical illness, but it came on suddenly. They would be able to put in, the agency will move it through, but they would have to, as part of the application, of course, put the specific dates and even your intended return date. So some people may not know how long they're going to be out for their surgery. The recovery period may be different. So what you often do is you'll put in, okay, six weeks. You go on, listen, the surgery is scheduled this week. You have four weeks of recovery. So that gives you five weeks. The person would say, make an application for five weeks. When and if it came up to that, they can always go and move to extend that. But the first seven days are not paid. And so that's usually covered by the employer, which is why the state isn't paying that. So your sick leave, your 40 hours of paid sick leave, or even maybe your vacation pay that you still had outstanding could be used for those seven days. Otherwise, there's no waiting period, I think is typically you might call it.
0: When it comes to payments, like what's the frequency? Is it weekly, bi-weekly, monthly? Oh, okay. So the
1: payments to the employees for their benefits? Yes. It's weekly. It's weekly. So they're made and they're tailored directly to the length of time of the leave. And they're made on a weekly basis.
0: Okay. How long? I know you answered this already before, but how how long is the leave? And actually, I'm going to add to this because we just had a baby this year. And this Uh is something that... It was complicated because you know my wife was trying to figure this out with her HR department. When do I take it? Do I take it consecutively? Can I break it up? I think that's a common question people are trying to figure out because I think people want to either stretch it out or if there's things that are happening because they don't want to be away so long from their work and then try to play catch up. What are the pros and cons of taking... I, I think the max is 26 weeks. I think most right. people know that, right? So like, yes. does it have to be taken... So I'll, I'll ask this again. So make yeah. it easy. So if you're taking out the max leave, which is 26 weeks, is there pros and cons on taking it straight through or breaking it up? When it comes to payment, do I get all of it or, or not? So yep. wh- what are things that people should be aware about?
1: So on that, it truly is an à la carte. It's meant to be tailored to the needs of the individual. So the total combined leave is 26. There's a limit of 20 weeks of serious medical leave and 12 weeks for family. And you can break that up any which way. So there are two buckets. And so the answer is actually quite complex. I'm going to give you the example of a woman on maternity leave who was pregnant, not adopting, but was pregnant, had the child. Under this statute, as it has been for quite some time, often pregnancy is considered a serious medical condition. And so you can take the leave. Some women go right before they're due, right? Like in the real world, it's some women and it's how they decide. You can take it earlier. I know many women who are on bed rest and end up taking it before the baby is born. But in a typical situation, a lot of women work up maybe even as far as a week before the babies due, or sometimes, right, the birth comes on unexpectedly. And so they literally might have even been working the day before. For someone like that, their postpartum condition is a serious medical condition, and they would then begin it under the family leave part is time to bond with a child up to the 12 weeks, and they can combine those two to 26 they can decide to take it all. They can decide to take it all consecutively or they can decide I'm gonna take this for the medical part and then for the bonding part. There's real flexibility on the bonding part which is up to 12 weeks which can be intermittent. And so some people might say, listen, particularly in today's hybrid workplace, maybe I can work part-time but I'd like to have a Monday and Friday as my bonding part of my 12 weeks. So they may take the serious medical illness part for whatever the math is on that 26 minus 12 is 4, 14 weeks. There we go. And then say, I'm going to allocate the other 12 weeks for my family bonding part for the remainder of this year, but I want to do it intermittently. And it really is a la carte. If you're not required by law. To take that either, you know, cotangent, if you will, or successively, consecutively, you get to tailor it. You could still do that under the FMLA, and people have been, but this one is very, very clear. You get to what I call piece together use as much or as little as you would like.
0: But does the pay, is it different on the percentage, depending no. on, you know?
1: No, the pay would remain the same. So the cap. Let's just say a woman who's highly paid that she would quote unquote cap out of the, the max benefit of 850 a week. Under the scenario that I just gave you, whether she took it intermittently or otherwise, they would add up of course, the intermittent leave to pay her for those days. So you know it would be if you had two days a week that you're using as intermittent leave, you would get the equivalent of the pay as if you had taken all five days, but just for those two and it would be paid out serially. So it's tied to the time frame because the ultimate criteria of the financial part is really about the salary level. If you're at the max out part, it's just then allocated, if you will, almost like a per diem basis, but the pay would not vary in that.
0: What contributions must an employer make to the fund?
1: No problem. <laughs> so I'm gonna give you the first scenario, which is over 25. So the only time an employer is contributing is if they have 25 or more employees. Okay. And their contribution is the employer share of the medical leave portion. And the percentage wise breaks down to it's 0. 0.62 is paid into the for the medical leave, which is of the employees gross wages. 60% of that part is played by the employer. And 40% is paid by the employee. For the medical leave deduction or payment in, it is always, under any scenario, 100% covered by the employee. The employer just withholds. So that is the only contribution made by an employer. In the less than 25 employee situation, the employer is contributing zero, zero is their contribution. They don't have to make any contribution towards the medical part. They make zero contribution to the family leave. They are not paying anything, if you will, out of the employer pocket. What they must do is make the withholdings for the employee. But hopefully that clarifies that. And again, there's a great both visual <laughs> chart, and I'm not, not the math genius here, both at the state website on that.
0: And what you just said there, Walter, is based on tax contributions?
1: Correct. The percentages I was describing was based on the gross wages of the employee. So that's the metric. So if an employee is getting paid $33,000 a year as a salary, it's X percentage of that gross wage. Do you see? And so at the end of the day, just to put a relevancy kind of you know, patina on this It's less than 1% of somebody's gross wages. When you're an employee working for an employer with more than 25 employees, it's even less than that. You're paying less than that. And there's a cap. It's no more than 38 cents for every $100 earned. Just to give you a relevant metric here, it it actually is, is pretty tiny because it's an insurance pool. Not everybody's going to take every year 26 weeks of paid leave combined they're not but they're paying in at rates and they did the actuarial part it's just like unemployment And the better thing about this statutory scheme I feel for employers is they know what the contribution is so unlike unemployment their rate never increases. It only increases when you give a raise to the employee because that employee's is the metric here, is the gross wages of the employee. But there's no like, oh, these many people got laid off and filed for unemployment, so your rating increases. That doesn't happen here. It's a very solid, it's great for accounting purposes for companies in this regard. At least they know based on their salary numbers to their staff, they will know exactly what that year's contribution will be. It's, it's not a guess. It's a natural determined number.
0: Great. Uh, I got a couple more here. We'll yeah. May a covered individual take intermittent or reduced schedule leave?
1: Absolutely. They can that have been a feature built into FMLA leave. It is a feature under the state law as well. You may take it on an intermittent basis. I think I've had some very good friends and other folks that I've known who have battled cancer valiantly and do the chemo or have, you know, what are called monthly treatments, but not in the hospital. But you know, they're not feeling good right after the chemo for usually a couple of days, but it varies. They may need three days this month, but they may need six next month because they hit them really hard. Absolutely, it can be done intermittently.
0: May an employer require that payments under the PFML be coordinated with other payments offered under an existing employer plan?
1: Yes, the answer is yes. So the biggest one is often, and in fact, I was talking to a client today about this. They have a, a PTO policy, right? So some companies opt to have a paid time off policy that combines, says, don't worry, don't tell us what the reason is, but all of your vacation pay, all of your sick leave pay, all of your personal leave pay, we're going to give you, say, 15 days total or 20 days total. The answer is that PTO policy that provides full pay, right? Usually full pay. It must exceed what the employee would get from the state. If you are paying the employee 100% of their salary, it's going to exceed what the state benefit is. In addition, you must have a written policy that says these are the reasons why you can take it. Without that, it's not compliant. And your policy must say it's running concurrent. You have to tell your employees these are running concurrently. They're not additive. So that was an admonition under the FMLA, and it is so under the state, but the answer is yes, you can do it, so long as it meets those criteria.
0: All right, last question. Is COVID-related cases covered under PFML?
1: So yes, so let me tell you yes with this condition, why, and there's a brand new statute related COVID. I'm glad (laughs) you said that. From May 28th, the state passed a new statute, that gives 40 hours of paid leave, what I'm going to say is a COVID related leave. That disappears in September of this year. But what it does allow is in addition to everything else, if somebody is having a bad reaction to the COVID vaccine, is experiencing COVID symptoms or recovering from COVID symptoms, and I believe even caring for somebody with COVID symptoms, they are permitted 40 hours of paid leave. It's a brand new statute. It's a temporary statute, which is not really a thing. Statutes are statutes, but it's temporary in that it's not going to go on forever. So that is there. So that covers various things. And I'm going to show how the, the paid family medical leave can really almost be, if you will, that would be a subset of the paid family leave. If you see COVID, COVID is by far is a serious medical condition and it may not manifest seriously with each individual. But for those people, it's not manifesting individually. Some people don't know they've had it, right? They're not taking time off, they're feeling good enough to work, you know, with all the precautions, right? We hope. But for those who are not, it's an illness. It's sick leave. It, it qualifies just like a flu would, just like any other sick leave. So it absolutely is subsumed and would fall under the paid family medical leave
0: act. I'm going to add this question because I think it's relevant today or just the pandemic, with a lot of people are having, you know, mental health challenges. Yes. Is any type of mental health cases covered under this policy?
1: A hundred percent. So the definition is so broad. It's both mental and physical disabilities or conditions and thank god you know where we've come as a society is recognizing that just because something doesn't maybe necessarily physically manifest itself mental disabilities or mental conditions stress you know ADHD and PTSD are just as debilitating and the answer is yes that's why they use this very broad term serious medical issue must be serious must be qualified and at times, they, you know, we didn't go all into the detail, but you can imagine there are provisions in this statute that you can't be a faker, right? You have to have medical documentation and the state will require that. So you know, whether something is serious enough to qualify, that's between you and your provider and the state will apply, but absolutely anything, any uh, mental condition would qualify.
0: Well, this has been amazing. You definitely dropped and shared a lot of wealth of knowledge. And I think that's going to be really valuable for for listeners and people in the business community. If there's any further questions, how can someone reach out to you or your firm?
1: Sure. So the best way is through my email. It's wfoster at Eckert Siemens. Uh, dot com. That would be the best way. And obviously, you know, just Google us and our website will uh, pop up and we have our contact information there. If anybody has follow-up questions and wants to know more about the forms or where to get them or what have you, we've put together a kind of a great starter kit, particularly for employees, as you can imagine. My firm and I work mainly on the corporate side. And so for small businesses and large businesses alike, there really are a number of moving parts and we have kind of a great starter kit for folks, but that would be the best way. It's W Foster at eckertseamans.com.
0: Thanks for your time today, contributing to the Businesses People community. I mean, look forward to more sessions with you, Walter.
1: Yeah, Tom. thanks again for having me. And I think it's a very timely topic. It all takes place in two days and thanks again.
0: If you have any questions and topics you'd like us to cover, please email me at podcast at inthinkagency.com or message me on LinkedIn.